so yeah, there's there's a lot of this. And then you think, well, how could we possibly grieve the Holy Spirit? Uh, we've already studied that He has sealed us. How could you grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed? And it's like God is an impassable God in that He has attributes. For one thing, certain of His attributes He does not give to us. But there are certain attributes that are communicable that He does give. But He's impassable. That means He's not affected. God is an impassable God. You've heard of that, right? That's part of an attribute of God. But it says here that we're not to grieve Him. And we know that He lives inside of us. He has a relationship with us. And so it is possible for us to grieve Him. And and we are His children to grieve Him. So, you know, when, when you think about that, that's that relationship that comes in. I guess that's where you would say, okay, there is God who is deity, but there's God also who relates to man or the son of man, you know, in his humanity. And so we can grieve him with our thoughts, with our words, with our deeds. We can fail to honor him. Uh, maybe uh, he is uh, bringing on some kind of a leading of the Holy Spirit, uh, an impulse, maybe an influence that he has, and we don't pay attention to him there. Uh, could that be grieving him? Uh, not having a sense of uh, God's love can be a consequence. If we, if, we, if we grieve the Holy Spirit, then we kind of have the sense that uh, we're not, even though we know He loves us, we're not experiencing that love, we're not experiencing the joy um, that uh, we should have. How about even assurance? Especially young believers who don't know about that assurance. They can... Uh, not have that or in, or in Peter it talks about there these things if you have these things and you add to them these building blocks then you can have assurance that uh, you're in him uh, I think it can, it can affect our peace uh, our comfort if we agreed to him and I guess he could uh, withdraw from us in the sense of taking away maybe some gracious influences that he has uh, he, he, he doesn't abandon us he never abandons us, but he could withdraw his manifestations that he has, the gracious manifestations, because we are, uh, in a sense, not re- relating to him. So, anyway, some uh, some thoughts on that uh, idea of grieving. I've been thinking about this since last Monday, and the longer I think about it, the more it saddens me, you know? that I can greet the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. Yes. He can be grieved by me. I don't want to do that. After all He's done, right? And all He continues to do. I just feel like sometimes I feel like God goes too far. You know? Yeah. He shouldn't have let us grieve His Spirit. Yeah, why? Yeah, yeah. It's like he's actually sad. I mean, you know, yeah, to to really much, think I mean, that. Too much to you say, well, he's God. Why would why would he be sad? I mean, yeah, he doesn't like us to do those things, and but it really affects him. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? It is. It is. And here he 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 has uh, done everything we need, and he's he's gifted us and. Uh, 
equipped us and we have all that we really need and yet we can we can grieve him. Oh, when I think of that, I think I don't know where it is. There's that one point where God, well, God loves his people, and then the people are saying something like, wherein hast thou loved us? And I can only imagine, like, just being a, 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 a mom, if my kids thought, how have you loved me? And how much greater that's got to be for God, like, all that he's given, all that he's done, all of his, all of his gracious gifts, and then sometimes, even if we don't think it or say it, hmm. we can act like, how, how does he love us? If, 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 or if he loved us, he would. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, it's one of my children thought that about me. <coughs> So you can relate that on a small yeah. basis there. And it makes you wonder how much he's even grieved even more then, doesn't it? That's a good point. That's a good example. That's bringing it down to the level that he's feeling this. And then to think that this has to be a person, you know, there are many scriptures that show that the Holy Spirit is a person. This is one of them. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts 5. And you, you think about all that, and then you realize that, yeah, He has a personal relationship with us. He's interceding for us constantly. He's praying for us. You know, we can't even pray right. And so there He is praying for us. And but yet he he agrees. What is it in First Corinthians chapter two? Here's dealing with the uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so now, even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So there's the spirit of God, Holy Spirit. Knowing, uh, here we we talk about him grieving, and then in Romans eight twenty seven. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So there's the mind of the spirit the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and He makes intercession. And you see all these action words in the Bible about the Holy Spirit and what uh, what He does. Things that only a spirit could... No force could be grieved. You know, we, we know that... Where are the feelings? You know, that shows you the <clears throat> the immensity of, as, of you guys were sharing there. You know, when you really think about Him really feeling this, this sadness... Just to interrupt for a second, I think Malachi 1 and 2 is the area you're talking about. Is there Which a one reason why you haven't used it in a burdening sense? The, the word grieve, burden. You haven't exactly used it in that sense, and I just was curious as to why. You get, can you go further with that? Uh, in, in that it really puts a burden on him? Yeah. 
I love, I mean, it's just, that was my natural understanding whenever you use the word grieving. And you haven't exactly used it in that sense. Uh, burden is, I guess, less emotional. I don't know. Well, you could, uh, it depends on, I guess, how you want to take that. I, uh, you're taking something that would be, um, Come on, I help me out curious, here. <laughs> I was curious where is the grieving, the uh, the the word itself, the definition of it. Would it are you asking could be equated with burden? Yes. You're not burden the whole thing? Yes. I think it goes beyond that. I think grieve is a much deeper word or yeah, um, I know that one word that was helping define it was was sadness. Uh, you could probably take it into a, a deep sadness, a, a, the feeling there. Or when Jesus, when Jesus, there's the son. Whenever he wept, um, there um, it takes in the sense of the feeling that just just you know it really hit him, um, kind of like. Um, I'm trying to think of a um, way to define that, how that was, but it, I mean, it, it's a uh, it, it's feeling it's a feeling of uh, a deep sadness, a, a mourning, uh, to really cry, to, uh, heartfelt. I think it takes it all the way into the emotional, the, in, into the very inner part that we can identify with, in, in that sense. Um, Might be um, an element of frustrating the spirit too. That you know, want our best yeah. and our good, and we are basically uh, undercutting <laughs> grace in that you know, in that yeah. aspect where we're not allowing him to do all he can. Show us, but, you know, right. Uh, there's a, a passage where Jesus is grieved. I think we even went at last time and it was where I believe where he uh, heals the the crippled man's hand on the Sabbath and I think there's a passage in there about him Jesus being grieved or something like it was dur- it was one of the miracles that he did in front of the religious people and it says that he was grieved over that yeah, and I can't remember where that's at. I now know what you're saying. Maybe yeah. a little different context than the Holy Spirit and one of His own. Yeah, there was a there was a grief over the fact that they didn't uh, they weren't taking Him in and, and believing. You know, yeah. who, they were putting Him through all that through all that test. And, you know, just just frust- That's where that frustration that I brought yeah. came in. Uh, and uh, you know when. We try to test God, or uh, maybe we don't <laughs> trust Him like we need to, you know, should. You know. After He's and give us, uh, especially when we've seen so many times where He's done good for us, <laughs> right. we still, you know, fail to keep that trust. 
Especially when, yeah, yeah, whenever he's gone. Fail to believe his word in a moment or in a particular situation or something like that. I don't know. But did you find anything on that, Zach? Were you looking, looking for that? Uh, have basically keep coming across the same thing, saying to pain, to hurt, to cause sorrow. Oh, okay. That's the old one we ran across. We didn't have our other actual Greek and Hebrew one over there. We just sold that Saturday. So. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It would be. Um, it's. It's definitely feeling with a, a, a sorrow, a pain, a hurt. So we know what it feels like to uh, to be hurt, uh, to feel pain. Hope you don't feel too much pain by not getting your car started. <laughs> Get that thing started, right? Anyway, um, I don't know if that helps any, but. Well, it, an idea. it does. I mean, I, I I would have went with the burden of frustration aspect on it, and it's not. Well, it definitely brings, I think, the, the personal aspect yeah. behind this. Yeah. <clears throat> and then what it does, it ties up in, in your verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. He already had it a little bit of a list of sins. Then he comes back, wraps it around this grieving the Holy Spirit, and I'm sure if we had any bitterness, and that's a smoldering resentment, something that just keeps on smoldering, you know, like a fire, and looks like it's about ready to go out, but it's always underneath there. It's always there. That's a kind of bitterness. The wrath there is the thumos, or you can think of heat, heat that's built up. Uh, This is dealing with a rage, a wild rage. People will just just go off the handle, go crazy. Uh, the anger is uh, a deep feeling. Uh, anger. It's the word is orge. Sometimes whenever we think of the wrath of God, we think of this word right here, but it's it's this is having a smoldering deep feeling, and it's something like bitterness. But this anger is is uh, it's, it's there. It's a, it's a wrath, and the clamor is dealing with a a public outburst, just losing self-control, just saying anything that comes out, you know, and, of course, using the mouth in a very corrupt way. And then slander is the word for uh, blasphemy or blasphemeo, and that's to defame somebody, to say something that uh, would take them down. And malice covers it all. That's uh, general evil. It's all malice, just in the whole idea there. So, uh, of course, any of those things, if a Christian had any of those elements, they are going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Anger. uh, He's already said that before. Be angry, but do not sin with that kind of anger. Then he mentioned the the wrath and all those. So they're related at just taking natural vices and... um, saying, hey, we have the Holy Spirit to keep us from doing those things, and if we don't use Him, then what we do is then we're grieving Him. So I think if we were dear, having a dear relationship with, uh, with the Lord, any time that we would sin and we recognize what we just did, whether it was offending somebody else or doing something that we shouldn't have been done on our own and, and being selfish or what have you, uh, really the one who we really offend is the Holy Spirit. Making him very sad. I think that would be 
one way to curtail some sin that we might uh, always be dealing with and we constantly battle if we would think, oh, this is really going to make him very sad, very hurt, this pains him. Hmm. And then he comes on the positive side. And, and uh, I think he's been doing this all the way through from 25 through 32. He gives like a, a negative. Then he gives the positive, And then he gives the reason and, uh, and ha- how we're supposed to do it. The positives, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And what's the reason? Even as God in Christ forgave you. And just, um, what, three verses, we have the triune God involved there. Uh, God, in Christ, forgave you. You have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit involved. We have all of these terrible natural vices uh, of the flesh, and yet we have the One who resides in us, who gives us all the power and the strength that we need to defeat the sin, and then he tells the positive, here's what you fill it up with. Instead of being um, angry, or some of those other words that he's saying, uh, and bitter, he says be kind to one another. And that's the kind of kindness that would be putting down, let's say you had a coat on, it's kind of cold out, but uh, they're getting ready to step on some ice and they're going to fall. So you put that coat out there to keep them from sliding. It's, uh, it's taking an action and going beyond just being um, there for one, but actually extending yourself out uh, to really help them out. Kind to one another, tender-hearted, uh, being very, um, I think, open to the sense that whenever somebody is... Um, you can help somebody out and um, just just being able to... They're action words. And he uses the word forgiving. And this this kind of goes into what the next chapter is going to be dealing with when he talks about loving others. So to these Ephesians, he's really making a... driving home the sense, here is always the opposite of your selfish sin. Here's what you do. You go out and use that for the positive towards others. Here's how you can not grieve God by doing these things to people. Be kind to one another. Get the one another's in there. Forgiving one another. And to back that up, just in case we forget, okay, how do you forgive? Well, you look at Christ on the cross. I had somebody ask me, well, I can't forgive that person. And it's like, well, in your flesh, no, you can't. Nobody can. If they've done something really bad to you, And in this case, it was bad enough to have to go to court. So what do you do with that? It's saying, well, are you holding a grudge? No, I just can't forgive them. And that's a hard thing to deal with because we know in one sense that memory is still here. They've done something very bad that that has really hurt you, maybe even tried to destroy you. But in another sense, Scripture says to love your enemies which is not natural. We cannot do that. It's impossible in our flesh. So what do you do? Well, you think what Scripture says. I, you think back at the cross, just as Christ forgave you. And i got a feeling that's probably the best motive that we'd ever have to do anything. But if it deals with forgiveness, 
I can't think of anything better because that's what he did for us because he took my sin that killed him. And whenever that has happened, that's the ultimate forgiveness. That's probably one of the best ways to defeat any kind of sin is just take it back and realize what he did for us there. I think Paul closes that chapter up rather well as he speaks about forgiveness. I have to wonder if maybe they had a little bit of forgiveness problem there in in Ephesus. Uh, We've already seen that he he has told them what the church is about and the one another's and how they're to be uh, unified, unity. I think every church has that problem anyway. The flesh is always there. So that's the way that uh, he finishes that up. I think it's rather convicting. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is grieved and then Christ forgave you at the cross. What uh, <laughs> what more could you have to motivate you and and not desire to sin? Hmm. Went through some pretty heavy ones. Was a twenty tail? Going to chapter five a little bit. We'll probably cut it in pretty quick. Um. I, and I think it just kind of flows into it as as he finished off right at the end of chapter uh, 432 forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you and then he says therefore be imitators of God as dear children so Christ forgave us we were forgiven there and if that be the case now because he did that now we are to imitate him so it just leads right into that section. I think it's probably one of the most startling admonitions that we'll find in the New Testament to imitate God. And when you take that at face value, you go, that's ridiculous. That's impossible. Have you ever thought about imitating God? How can I imitate God? And um, nor I don't think there's any place else in the Bible that we'll see where it says to imitate God, uh, be imitators of God, there's a Alexander McLaren commented on this, and he says this is the sum of all of our duty to to imitate God. <laughs> I guess that wraps it up. And of course, Martin Lloyd Jones always has something to say about this being the best. He says it was Paul's supreme argument, the highest level of all in doctrine and practice. This um, the imitators of God, the ultimate ideal. So how is it possible to imitate one who is infinitely above us? He's the sovereign God of the universe. And here it's overwhelming in that we are to mimic him. To take his characteristics and copy them. Can't fathom that. Can't fathom that. Copy his characteristics. Communicable attributes. What are some of those? Love. Through the Spirit. Good way to put it out. Copy those. Well, He gives us Spirit. There's a power there to do that. And this word, this word mimic, it, it actually means to copy closely. To copy like... Um, another person's characteristics, their actions, their behavior, 
um, their speech, e- everything. And it means to take that and copy whatever they do. That's that's the word mimic. And if one was to think about whenever they're a kid, they learn to draw by tracing, and they go completely over it, and they take every line and go around and trace that. And, and as they get a little bit better, you know, they, all, they can make it look just almost exactly like what they just traced. And they're they're taking that um, um, scheme there, that form, and uh, they take it into what it what it looks like. But when you talk about the characteristics of God, we're talking about His very nature. And we're commanded. And you think of the uh, the attributes that are what non-communicable. Uh, he's self-existent. You know, he's uh, he can be uh, everywhere, and he knows everything. We, he can't transfer that to us, but we think about this right here and and know that uh, we have the fruit of the spirit. And you can think of uh, wisdom. You can think of justice. All of those that would kind of go along with that and faithfulness gentleness self-control mercy all those things we are expected to have and then he's already used the point that we're to forgive others and uh, he will um, kind of keep using that throughout interesting anyway but, uh, this imitating God it, it, I, I don't know I, I can't get over it I think about it and yet he calls us Right at the end of it, dear children. And when you take a child and you take their parents, what does a child like to do? Especially when they're real young. Maybe not so much when they're teen years, but when they're real young, they like to mimic their dad, their mom. They like to follow whatever they're doing. So they imitate their parents. And so, however they, matter of fact, just the way that they may say certain words. They've got it down to the T sometimes, and what, let, what do you what do you got? We we had a foster child for a few few weeks years ago. We took a few and just as respite care, you know, very temporary. And Devin was about eighteen months old, and he bonded to Elvin, and it was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. This little kid, he mimicked everything physically that Elvin did. This little kid did. Eldon would sit down and put his feet up. Devin had to sit next to him and put his feet up. I mean, he just zeroed into, you know, he watched Eldon's every movement. That's what he did. That's what he did. Copied it perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty neat. That's that, that's kind of the way way that it works. Right? And and the more. The more that we get into here, we're watching him, how his nature is, how his characteristic is, and we learn it more than we did before. And as we do that, then we put that into to use. Of course, a lot of times we don't even know it. Holy Spirit's working that in us. But, yeah, we're, we're copying or we're... It's hard for me to say it. We're imitating God. It sounds... It doesn't sound right, but that's, it is right to, to copy copy that nature. And, of course, you think of children. You know, you, we've already seen, like, way back in chapter 1 in Ephesians where we've been adopted. He uh, predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ Himself. There we are as children there. And, uh, what, in uh, John 1.12, we're considered to be the children of God. Or you can look in 1 John or in Galatians, we're children. Just 
mimicking God, copying his characteristics. Interesting to learn about him. We have the uh, spiritual genes. You know, you got to have the if you're if you're a child of uh, of parents, you have their genes that's been passed on to you, and now we have the spiritual genes that's been passed on to us to lead in the moral character of God. That's probably about as far as I'll go tonight. You guys have any any things to? Uh, yeah, I like I like like that example. Copying. Watch everything that he did. Yeah, we got. It just gave us so much pleasure, and the longer he was with us, the better he got at it. Like he said, you know, he got to know Eldon, and he knew what Eldon was going to do before Eldon did it. That's almost scary sometimes. Yeah, he was with him. About eighteen months old. I'd have him at church, after church, would be holding him or something, and Eldon would come into the room, and I didn't have to look to see that it was Eldon, because Devin's face just lit up. I, he just, and he had to go to him. I mean, if, if Eldon was around, nobody else would do. That's funny. kind of interesting because here we are we're really only probably about 18 months old you know we're, we're just infants looking at our father and uh, it's neat you know that you know you 